So we are on lesson number eight of the summer quarter. Title of the lesson is Israel's Restoration Prophesied and the Gog-Magog War. And it'll be Ezekiel chapters 37 through 39. So section A is the dry bones vision presented. And that is verses 1 through 10. Can I get somebody to read 1 through 10? Okay, thank you. Now, chapter 37 is a kind of pictorial version of chapter 36. You know, chapter 36, there's prophecy, because Israel is now totally destroyed. There's, you know, Judah's taken over, Jerusalem's conquered, their king is in prison in Babylon. There's no Israel anymore. And uh, Ezekiel's prophesying restoration, and chapter 36 went through that in kind of plain language, and now this is a, a picture of the same thing. So in verses 1 or and 2, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me up by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. What does it imply that they were very dry? Drought. Yeah, this is not this is not a recent thing, right? When they're very dry, it means they've been there a while, and they're desiccated and worn out, and all the flesh has been. They've gone through the putrefaction process, and then now they're bleached. Yeah. So it's right. So they uh, it it's been going on for a long time. Then verse three says, "He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live?" And I answered, "O Lord God, you know." So the Lord likes to do that to us, doesn't he? He likes to ask us things we have no idea what the answer is. <laughs> Ezekiel had the right was on the right track. Well, Lord. You know. I mean, if you think about it, God spoke and the universe came into existence. So if he wants them to live, yeah, they can live. You know. And he has the power to do that. And Ezekiel was a little uncertain about the whole thing. But um, then verses 4 and 5, Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. So that sounds like Adam, doesn't it? It sounds like the story of Adam, Adam's creation. The Lord made his body out of dirt, and then he breathed the breath of life into him. And that is how we were created. And so this brings that back. So the northern kingdom was already dead in 722 B.C. This is now around 585 B.C. or so. So they've been dead for over 100 years, about 150 years. Now Judah is dead. So um, my question is, do you think this prophecy helped the remnant in Babylon? This prophecy that the bones, now, in just a second, he's going to explain what this means. 
you know, what it means is that Israel is going to come back to life. Do you think that helps them? When they're sitting in captivity in Babylon. Yeah, it helped them because we need hope, don't we? Everybody needs hope. We need hope, otherwise we get, we wither and die if we don't have hope. Everybody needs hope. And what hope do we have? Our hope is, you know, we all face problems. And we've already started eternal life, right? Eternal life has already started for us. And so, you know, we have people have cancer and, the, and uh, you know, their bodies are falling apart. And, you know, we, ha we have uh, relationship problems and all this stuff. But we already have eternal life. And this is the hope we have here. This is First Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. See, there, that's the issue right there. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So even if we die, Jesus said this to Martha. He said, those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will arise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So that's what we're waiting for. That is our hope, is that we will be raptured and we will be with the Lord, and that is a comfort to us. So, and while we are here... We also have this hope, and this hope is 1 Corinthians 3, it's the square root of 9. So look up the square root of 9. I'm pulling your leg. It's so fun. Yeah. No, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, we have this hope. We have hope of reward. That's what this is. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So when we're going through these problems, we're facing cancer, we have pain, we're worried, we're concerned, our relationships are under stress, they're falling apart. It's an opportunity for reward. as Because as we go through this and we follow the Lord and, and do what he asks us to do in the midst of it, he will reward us, and we can look forward to that. So we have two, two things to hope for. Number one, the, the rapture and the resurrection, which is the biggest thing. But there's also the possibility in this life of reward that we can look forward to later. So verses 6 through 8, 
I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you. It sounds like a horror movie, kind of. <laughs> that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and behold, sinews around them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now we're going to learn later that this is the nation of Israel. And then, verse 9, he says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So this is an exact recapitulation of Adam. The, his body was created, but there was no life in it. So just think about Israel today. When was Israel recreated? You remember? 1948. May 14th, 1948. In Isaiah it says, will a nation be created in a day? Well, it was. On May 14th, 1948, by a declaration of the United Nations. And they are being gathered together, they are being drawn together, you know, bone to bone. But I would say right now there is no breath in them. Why is that? How, how are they constituted right now? What is their belief system, the nation of Israel? Yeah, most of them are atheists, secular, they're secular Jews. Yeah, a lot of them are atheists. There are some Orthodox, but they're probably the minority. Most of them are atheistic or agnostic Jews. They're ethnic Jews, but they're not faithful Jews. And the, and the dominant faith there is not what God had in mind, <laughs> you know, because they have veered off into rabbinic Judaism, which is not biblical Judaism. Biblical Judaism will draw you to the Messiah. Rabbinic Judaism does not. And that's what they're in. So they're, you know, this is, I'm not going to say that this is a fulfillment of the prophecy, but it's sure stage setting for the prophecy. So right now they're gathered together in unbelief, and this will continue, and they will build a temple in unbelief also. And they're planning that now. And that temple is going to be created to be desecrated by the Antichrist. So verses 9 and 10, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied, second time, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. That goes along with chapter 36, where he said in verse 37, Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock. So their population would be very large. And that's how they can have a great army. But this goes along with uh, what it says in Romans. Romans 25, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. 
that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Yeah, we learned from, we talked to a missionary who is now in Israel. He's Jewish. And he came from the United States and he made Aliyah, you know, what they call to go back to Israel. So he applied for Israeli citizenship. And you cannot say you believe in Jesus. Yes. If you say that you believe in Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, you will be denied citizenship in Israel. So national Israel is just like first century, first century Israel right now. They're in their attitude toward their Messiah. So he that was that was through one organization. There was the, a questionnaire and it had that question on it. Do you think that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah of Israel? So he went through another organization that left that question off. So he didn't have to lie. It, they just ignored it. And he is a citizen of Israel now. So, um, so yeah, anyway. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. You know, I'm thinking the minute the fullness of the Gentiles comes in will be the rapture. Of course, the Lord has not told us when that will be. We don't know when that will be. Right. We we know we know the right. We know the criteria, but right. We don't know the number, and we don't know when the number will be achieved. So anyway, so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written: the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So then when they realize, and we know from prophecy, from Revelation, that that will happen at the almost the very end, like the, the last day. I've heard teachers say the last three days, within the last three days of the tribulation period, that is when national Israel will be converted. The last three days. Three days. Yeah, and that's from Hosea. It says something about three days, and then three days, I'll, you know, I can't remember how it goes. But, and then that this prophecy will come true. Breathe on those slain, and they will come to life. They'll come to spiritual life. Israel will be what God designed them to be then. They're a believing nation. They will all believe. So it's taken a while to get there, <laughs> you know, and we, they're not there yet. And we have to go through the tribulation period to break their stubbornness because they're a stubborn bunch, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're famous for arguing. They're, they're famous for it and for disagreeing, you know, if you have an opinion amongst, amongst your Jews, everybody else has their own opinion and they all want to argue about it. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that's like a, you know, a joke about Jewish people. And they, you know, this guy we talked to owned up to that. He said, that is true. <laughs> so anyway, section B, the dry bones vision explained. That is 37 verses 11 through 14. How about I'll read that one. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So now the Bible has given a picture, and now it's interpreting itself. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened up your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. So this is the interpretation of this vision we have just seen. In verse 11, verse 12, National Israel is restored. This is a miracle of God, but they are still in unbelief. You know, there, there are some sections of the church that say, oh, it's not a miracle. The restoration of Israel is not a miracle. Those are the replacement theologians that say that. They say the church has taken over the promises of Israel. Um, a replacement theologian is saying that the church is the new Israel. That is not true. The church is the church, and Israel is Israel. They're separate things. You wouldn't agree with what? Yeah, part of Israel is in the church. That is the remnant of Israel. Yeah, to deny what that they do is they deny Israel their promises, which are unfulfilled promises, which makes God a liar then. So, and it puts our salvation in jeopardy. If God can break his promises to Israel of the kingdom, which has not come yet, then he could break his promise to us when he says, I will save you eternally. So it, when replacement theology attacks God's character, so it's bad. We don't like that. So as I said before, belief will come through tribulation. They, they, you know, I don't know how why this worked out this way, but it did. Is that uh, they will not get it until they are nearly destroyed. But anyway, this is from Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish. So two-thirds of Israel will die in the tribulation. But the third will be left in it, and I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. This is exactly what Alex was talking about. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So, and that'll take the entire tribulation to get them to that point. Okay, so that is the dry vision Dry bones vision explained. Then section C, Judah and Israel reunited. That's chapter 37, 15 through 22. Can I get a reader for that one? Yeah. 
Okay. Okay, thank you very much. So yeah, verse 16. You son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel, his companions. So since Israel had been separated into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom they called Israel and the southern kingdom Judah, since the days of Rehoboam, which is in about 970, B.C., 960 B.C., some sometime around there. And they sometimes they're at war with each other, the northern and southern kingdoms, um, even though they're all Israel. So in verse 17, Then join them for yourself one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. Okay, so there's another symbol. And the symbol is that the Lord in the restoration would unite them again as one nation, as they had been at first. Under King Saul, they were one nation, King David and King Solomon. They were one nation, and when they were, when Israel was rebuilt, it would again be one nation. It would no longer be two nations, and we see that happening now. They are coming together as one nation. There's not a separate nation of Judah another nation of Israel, or Israel, one nation. So the stage is set. I'm, I'm careful to say that I'd, I'm not sure that this prophecy is being fulfilled now. I've been chided that, or instructed that during the church age, I don't know that any of these Old Testament prophecies will actually be fulfilled, although it seems like the one about a nation being formed in a day, that was fulfilled because it happened. <laughs> it happened, and it wasn't in, you know. But um, anyway, the stage is being set very significantly for this. Um, but they don't have a king now. What do they have now? Instead of a king, they have a prime minister who's elected, right? They have Benjamin Netanyahu. That's who they have. Yeah, and he is under siege <laughs> right now. <laughs> He's always under siege. Yeah. He did. And he was reelected. Yeah. That was uh, that Naphtali Bennett, I think, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, he, they have elections over there like every two months. <laughs> and... Uh, and, uh, you know, he was reelected again. And then, yeah, he's the longest-serving prime minister they've ever had, but he's done in segments. He's in and he's out, you know. Yeah, Israel, when they were first formed, they were socialist. They were socialist. And he was one of, he got them into capitalism because he was their finance minister, and he moved them into a, a capitalistic model. And that, that that it made them succeed. Amazingly, when once he did that, yeah. Verse twenty three. Then, well, verse twenty two. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations, and no longer be divided into two 
kingdoms. So there will be one king. There will be uh, one kingdom. And they will all be regenerated. Verse 23. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. So, verse, uh, the blessings of reuni reunification assured, and that is section D. That's 23 through 28. Okay. So verse 23, oh, I just read that. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived. And they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Verses 24 and 25. My servant David will be king over them. Now, we believe in literal interpretation of Scripture. Okay? So that means we take it in its normal sense. When it tells us something, we believe it, unless we recognize a figure of speech. It says, my servant David will be king over them. Do you recognize a figure of speech in that? I do not. Therefore, I believe that my servant David is David, the former king of Israel, who is now dead. He will be resurrected. And he will serve as king over Israel. It's in verse, uh, where is it? For No, the next verse, David is called a prince. Earlier in the book, he was called a prince also. Because there will be a king above David. He will be king of the planet. That is Jesus. He's, he's sub yeah. he's he's. Yeah. Right, he's subordinate to King Jesus. And we know that the apostles, Jesus told them very specifically that they will be on thrones, each one judging a tribe of Israel. All of the apostles will be over a tribe of Israel. So, it, you know, it's a hierarchy, and we have that in our government now. We have a hierarchy of administrators in the government. And so, you know, David will be over the apostles it sounds like. Jesus will be over David. And uh, this missionary we talked to in Israel thought, and I think too that Gentile believers will be in positions of authority over Gentile regions. So I'm, I'm thinking that those of us who have grown up and lived here in this area, this will probably be, and this is speculation, okay? I don't have any 
the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm just thinking that the Lord will put us in authority, the authority that we've earned through our life, through faithfulness, somewhere in this area. Yeah, you know, I mean, they'll they'll need to be um, people ruling all over the world because there will be people all over the world. And um, so we, we will be in Jesus' administration, but we are a uh, kingdom of priests. That is that is exactly true. I don't know exactly. This is all speculation. I like to think about these things. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, what I have outlined is that whether David himself or an ideal Davidic figure is meant, Israel will be ruled by a righteous king whose heart is wholly devoted to following the laws and decrees of God. No sin of any kind will have a part in the spiritual life of Israel ever again. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. No, this is this is a very good lesson. Verse 28, And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So that's the word olam. Uh, Dane has mentioned this before. Olam doesn't mean eternity, necessarily. And we know that this is, does not mean eternity here. Because how the we're going to look at the sanctuary starting in the, our next lesson. The sanctuary that d- is described by Ezekiel has not yet been seen on planet Earth. So it's future. And it's the millennial temple, so how long does the millennial temple la- last? A millennium. Millennial temple lasts. Yeah, the millennial temple, will, which Jesus will build, will last through the millennial kingdom. But that will be the end of this earth. The end of the millennial kingdom will be the end of this earth. This earth and heavens will be destroyed. Yeah. That's right. So he's using this as until the end of this creation. It'll be the end of this little experiment that God has had from eternity past. In eternity past, he thought, hmm, I think I'm going to make something. Poof. The universe came into existence. He made angels and people with wills that could depart from his and he allowed them to choose. And all this is to glorify him. And that little experiment will end at the end of the millennium, and will go into eternity again, and then there will not be a temple. In the eternal state, remember Revelation, we looked at Revelation last quarter. In the eternal state, there is no temple. It's God and the Lamb are there, and we interact directly with them. There's no temple. So when he says olam here, it is not eternal. It is till the end of this creation. The end of this creation. Yeah. What a what an experiment he has done. It is quite amazing. So anyway, that's the end of what the quarterly does, but they skipped the Gog-Magog war, which I thought was ridiculous. <laughs> so I'm so chapter 38, I'm just going to outline. And this is an s- entire study in itself. You could do a whole quarter on these two chapters. Actually, Andy Woods, who's one of my 
one of my favorite preachers, Dane's teacher. Dane's his TA, by the way. Uh, went through Ezekiel 36 through 39. I think it was on Wednesday night, and it took a few months. So if you want more detail on that, on this, you can go there. Chapter 38, it talks about the Prince of Rosh. Rosh is Russia. God will draw him. He will think it's his idea. He will draw him to Israel. And with Rosh, or Russia will be Turkey, Iran, and Andy Woods wrote a book called The Middle East Meltdown, and he goes through great detail in showing which modern-day nations correspond with these ancient nations which are listed in chapter 38. So Russia, Turkey, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, and others, they will come on horses, and again, literal, you know, in our modern-day thought, we're thinking, well, okay, it's going to be tanks or something, something like that. They go into the mountains of Israel, which was very mountainous, and in Afghanistan, they did use horses in mountainous terrain. And so, for literal interpretation, you would think, okay, they're, they're on horses. Saudi Arabia will protest this invasion, and that is chapter 38, verse 13. It says, Sheba and Dedan, that's Saudi Arabia, and the merchants of Tarshish, Tarshish is Spain, with all its villages will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to capture great spoil? So they'll say, well, you come down here to, to rob them? So they will protest, but nothing is done. You know, if you read through this, it says they don't do anything about it. And as far as stage setting, we can see that Saudi Arabia is on the precipice of going into the Abraham Accords. Right now in the Abraham Accords, Abraham Accords are not peace treaties. They're, are na they're uh, na what is it? They're just admitting that Israel exists. Some of these nations are admitting they exist, and in, if they ad admit they exist, they will trade with them. They will, you know, exchange technology with them, trade, things like that, and they will get economic benefit. And so already the UAE, um, Qatar, uh, Morocco, I believe Sudan also has entered into these Abraham Accords, which was under President Trump. And Saudi Arabia is talking about doing it, going into that. And so you can see why they would protest when Israel was invaded. Right. Yeah, verse 12 of chapter 38 tells why they're doing this. It says, to capture spoil and to seize plunder to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods who live at the center of the world. Jerusalem is the belly button of the world. It is the center of the world as far as God is concerned. So, um, so what is God going to do about this? God is the one who draws him. He thinks he's doing it because he's going for loot. He's going for loot. 
And all these nations, it's a huge bunch of nations come together all against Israel uh, for loot. So God reacts when they come into the land with a massive earthquake. The invaders start killing each other. And we've seen this before in biblical history. You remember Gideon surrounded his, the enemies, which was much larger force. He had 300 lamps. They broke the lamps. They light, lit them and they yelled and they yelled. And then the army killed itself. <laughs> the army killed itself. They started killing each other. Uh, when Jehoshaphat, there's a famous quote from Jehoshaphat where he's praying. He says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Bernie used to pray that all the time. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And what was happening was a bunch of nations were coming against Judah, Moab, Ammon, I think Edom was one. And they're a huge force, greater than they were, and so Jehoshaphat prayed, caused them to kill each other, the enemies. They came up against them, and the 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 people from Judah weren't fighting. They were they were singing, <laughs> they were singing, and down there they're all killing each other. They killed they killed everybody. Everybody killed everybody else. So, I think that's what will happen in this Gog Magog war. They'll start killing each other. There will be torrential rain. There will be pestilence, so he'll release some sort of uh, plague on them. There will be fire. There will be brimstone, probably in relation to the earthquake, maybe some volcanic activity, stuff like that. So that's chapter 38. And the, the question then is, you know, when does this happen? There's a lot of, a lot of uh, opinions about that. I personally like Andy Wood's opinion. And that is that uh, it will happen during the first seal judgment. So it'll happen after the rapture. But he says the first seal judgment, because remember, the second seal is war, world war. The first seal is the rise of the Antichrist. Um, so, but when before world war happens... It says in verse 8 here, After many days you will be summoned in the latter years, you will come into the land that is restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. That's another thing. When the people of Israel are out of the land of Israel, it turns into a desert. Um, when they were out of the land, there was nothing there. Desert. They come back into the land, and now it's fruitful, and it's very prosperous, and it has the biggest GDP in the Middle East. But anyway, but its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. They're living securely. Verse 11, it says, they live securely, all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates. So that's why he thinks it's in the, the, during the first seal judgment before war. And it will go, th and it will go through the entire tribulation and maybe into the millennium. This, because this t will take at least seven years to clean up. Because chapter thirty-nine, there's total devastation. The whole 
All of these armies will be dead. Carrion will feed on the corpses. Israel will burn their weapons for seven years. So these things are hard to think about. And it will take seven months to bury the dead. Seven months to bury the dead. But the bottom line is that people will know that God is the Lord. <laughs> you will know that God is the Lord. Yeah, verse 28 of chapter 39. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gathered them again to their own land, and I will leave none of them there any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel. So by the time all this is done, Israel will be regenerated. So there, there are a lot of different interpretations of this, but that's the one that I like the best. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these prophecies that we are, we are looking forward to happening. And we do see for the, the world stage being set for these things very significantly. And so well, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, as King Jehoshaphat said. In Jesus' name, amen.